Well, welcome once again to Maple Grove Covenant Church. We are going to be kicking off a new series entitled The Pursuit of Happiness. And I thought a great way to start off this series is with the film, a clip from the film based on the same name. You may remember this film. It stars, it's, it's based on a true story about a man named Chris. And Chris ended up as a homeless man and a single father taking care of his young son. And he goes through some tremendous challenges in life. He ends up getting an internship at a brokerage, brokerage firm, and after years of challenge, he finally gets a break. Here's a clip from the film, The Pursuit of Happiness. I thought I'd uh, wear a shirt today, um, you know, being the last day and all. Well, thank you. Thank you. We appreciate that. But um, wear one tomorrow, though, okay? Because tomorrow's going to be your first day. If you'd like to work here as a broker. Would you like that, Chris? Yes, sir. Good. We couldn't be happier. So, welcome. Was it as easy as it looked? No, sir. No, no sir, it wasn't. Good luck, Chris. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, Chris. I almost forgot. Thank you. part of my life, this little part, is called happiness. You ever been there? You ever been happy? Ever accomplished something really good? Ever pursue happiness? Well, The Pursuit of Happiness is not just the title of a great film. It's a value for all of us as American citizens. I'd love for you to complete this quote for me. We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. They are endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. Among them are life, liberty, and the, the pursuit of happiness, its core. For who we are, it's something that we all long for, something that we all dream for, something that we all Pursue, it's happiness. I had a conversation with a friend of mine a number of years ago, and we were talking about a mutual friend, and this mutual friend made some pretty radical decisions. He ended up leaving his family and his job and his home, and he ended up following someone, uh, a girlfriend, to another state. And this mutual friend and I, this friend and I were talking about this mutual friend of ours, and we are like, we didn't really understand why he would do such a radical move, why he would leave his family, his home, and his job to follow a girlfriend to another state. And almost to justify our mutual friend's decision, my friend said this, as long as he is happy. You ever hear that phrase before? As long as he is Happy, as long as she is happy, whatever they're doing, because there's this pursuit, there's this longing, there's this drive inside all of us to be happy, and it causes us to do things that other people think, man, that's kind of strange. 
that's a little bit off kilter, but there's this pursuit, there's this drive called happiness inside each one of us. I recently heard a story about a man by the name of Brian Headwelch. Now, Brian was the lead guitarist in a band called Korn, and he had the life of a rock and roll star. I mean, he had millions of fans, multi-million dollars. He had everything that he could ever want materially. But at the moment of signing a new contract, multi-million dollar contract, he walked away from the band. And why would he leave the life of a rock star? Because he was unhappy. In fact, he was miserable. This is a quote from Brian. He says this, He's talking about his bandmates. He says, well, for years, you guys were out partying while I was sitting on the tour bus wanting to die. I was deeply disappointed. I had everything around me going great, but inside, I wanted to die. See, Brian had it all, but he left it all to pursue happiness, to find joy, to find some sense of contentment. See, the pursuit of happiness is powerful. I mean, it causes, it causes us to leave a, a, a profession where there's fame and fortune for this drive to be happy. It causes us to change our relationships with our family and friends. It's in, each side, it's in each one of us. It's this pursuit of happiness. And one of the things I found fascinating in my research on this drive for happiness is that most of us started out relatively happy. Most of us started our journey enjoying life. I read a statistic that the average preschooler smiles 400 times a day. I mean, that's a lot of smiling. Now, certainly they argue maybe about half that much, but they are smiling. The average preschooler smiles 400 times per day. Now, how many times per day does the average adult, age 15, how many times, what do you think? 20, 10, you're right, 15. 15, the average 35-year-old uh, smiles 15 times per day, 385 times less than the average preschooler. See, somewhere along the way, somewhere between preschool and adulthood, we lost our sense of joy. We've lost our ability to smile. We, 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 for some reason, we started out enjoying life, pursuing happiness, but for whatever reason, maybe we were pursuing joy in the wrong places, or maybe just the challenges of life squeezed the joy right out of us, but we've lost our joy. We all pursue happiness. We all long to be happy, but we rarely find it. The Apostle Paul made an astonishing claim in the book of Philippians. And that's the book that we're going to study over the next six weeks. It's the book of Philippians. And towards the end of this book, this letter to the Philippians, Paul makes this astonishing claim, a word of encouragement to all of us who pursue happiness. He makes this outrageous, amazing claim in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He says this, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've been in need. I, I, I've had plenty. But then he says this. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says, I have found the secret of happiness. I have found this place of contentment, this place of joy. And it has nothing to do with having all the material wealth. And it has nothing to do with having nothing or living as a homeless man. I have found this place of joy and peace and contentment. I have found 
this place of happiness. And the bad news as it relates to happiness is that it's hard to find. It's not obvious to the average American. It's rare. It's a secret. He says it's a secret. But the good news is, is that it can be learned. Paul says, I have learned the secret. I have found the path to joy. Maybe it took me a little while. Maybe I bumped into things that didn't bring enough joy. Maybe the life was just squeezed out of me. But I have found the secret of contentment. I've learned the place of happiness. See, the good news is that happiness is possible. Contentment is not out of our reach. According to the scriptures, we can smile a lot more than 15 times a day. There is a place, there is a path, there is a pursuit to happiness that leads to joy. But it's a secret. It must be learned. It's not something that comes naturally to us. It must be learned. There might need to be some changing in the way that we look at life or how we live our lives. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next few weeks. We're going to be learning. We're going to be studying the book of Philippians seeking to understand where we can find joy and happiness. The word joy is, is repeated 16 times in this, in this book, this book of Philippians. It is, it is just littered with opportunities to find joy, to find happiness and contentment. But in order to understand the book of Philippians, we need to go back to Acts chapter 16, the origins of the church in Philippi. So if you have your Bibles, I'd love for you to turn to Acts Chapter 16, page 1096 in your pew Bibles. The words will also be on the screen. But in Acts chapter 16, Paul is visiting the region of Philippi. It's about 10 years prior to his letter to the Philippians. And Paul goes with the message of Jesus. He goes to share Christ with some people in Philippi. And in order to understand the book of Philippians... We must understand the origins of this church. And as we read the beginning of the Philippian church, we will also find some of the secrets that lead to happiness. So Acts chapter 16, verse 11, we read the following. From Troas we put out to sea and sailed straight for Samothrace, uh, and the next day to Neapolis. And there we traveled to Philippi, a Roman colony and the leading city of that district in Macedonia. Macedonia is an important place. We'll learn more about that in a couple of weeks. And we stayed there several days. Now, Philippi was a leading city, a central city. In fact, it was known for gold. It's, in the, it's a central trade route in the region of Macedonia. It's a very influential city in Macedonia. And Paul went there, verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city to the gate uh, to the city gate to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. See, Paul went to a river to a place of prayer because there weren't many Jews. There wasn't a, a place to go at the Sabbath. There was no synagogue. So Paul goes out to a river, and he meets some women. In fact, he meets one very influential woman named Lydia, verse 14. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, who was a worshiper of God. And the Lord opened her out to respond to Paul's message. 
And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us to stay. See, the ministry of Paul in Philippi started off very well. Started off along the river at a prayer meeting where this women and probably other women came to faith in Jesus Christ. And one woman was an influential woman. She was Lydia. Lydia was this female leader. She comes to faith in Christ and she invites Paul and Silas to her home. I mean, they got a free place to stay. And things are going very well for the ministry in Philippi. And if you notice that she's a dealer in purple cloth. I mean, this could be the first place for Vikings apparel. I mean... It is going very well for Paul. I mean, people are coming to faith. He's got a free place to stay. I mean, all the purple stuff you could ever want. And it's going well for Paul in Philippi, verse 16. But once while we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune telling. She predicted the future which is a very interesting thing to do. What's even more interesting about this slave girl is she earned a great deal of money for her owners. Their owners made a great deal of money from this demon-possessed girl who could predict the future. Verse 17, this girl followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. They, she shouted. And she didn't just shout once or one day. She kept this for many, many days. So if you think you're having a hard week, if you think you're having a hard time with the kids, imagine a demon-possessed girl following you day after day after day, shouting, yelling, these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Finally, Paul gets fed up from hearing the screeching sounds of a demon-possessed girl. Verse 18, finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and he said to the Spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. Now, at that moment, the Spirit left her. Paul has this power encounter and casts out the demon, and this, this young servant girl is relieved. I mean, the demon is cast out of her. She's probably happy to have this demon outside of her. But the owners are upset. The owners are ticked off. Verse 19, when the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas, dragged them into the marketplace to face the authorities, and brought them before the magistrates and said, these men are Jews. They're throwing our city into an uproar by advocating custom and lawful for us Romans to accept or practice. The owners are upset. They're angry. They're jealous, they're frustrated, they falsely accuse Paul and Silas of crimes they didn't commit, and the city is moved to an uproar. Verse 22, the crowd joined the attack against Paul and Silas, and the magistrates ordered them to be stripped and beaten. He ordered them to be stripped naked and beaten. Now, I don't know if you remember where Paul and Silas were going before they were jumped by this crowd in order to be stripped and beaten. But according to verse 16, they were going to the place of prayer. They were going to church. 
They were going to a place to pray to the Almighty God, most likely on behalf of the people of Philippi. They were going to pray, and all of a sudden, they get jumped. They get falsely accused of crimes they didn't commit. They are taken into the courthouse. They are stripped naked and beaten. And it goes on to say, and after they have been severely flogged, I don't know if you remember what that word means, flawed, but that's when someone takes a whip with bones or sharp rocks on the edge of the whip and whips the back of a human being. The, the, the movie, the, pa- the, the Passion of the Christ, illustrated that so dramatically when we saw Jesus being whipped. That's what happened to Paul and Silas. They were stripped, they were beaten, they were severely flawed. And then they were thrown into prison. And the jailer was commanded to guard them carefully. And upon receiving such orders, he put them in the inner cell, into the hole, and he fastened their feet to the stocks. I mean, talk about a rough day at the office. Talk about a hard day at home. I mean, Paulus and Silas were jumped. And they were beaten. And they were flogged. And they were going to church. They wanted to go and pray on behalf of the Philippians, and they get jumped, and they get stripped, beaten, severely flogged, thrown into jail, left for dead. They had no idea what was going to happen to them next. And I just want to pause for a minute and ask you this question. How would you have responded if you were Paul and Silas? I mean, doing something good on behalf of others, casting out a demon, leading other people to faith in Christ. I mean, trying to start a church in Philippi. Doing all these good things, but then getting severely beaten, flogged, and thrown into jail. How would you respond? Do you have a couple questions for God? Like, God, I don't know if I heard you correctly. Go to Macedonia. Go to Philippi. God, is this really your plan for my life, to be in this jail cell? God, you know, I'm kind of mad at you that all these difficult things are happening to me. Would you shake your fist at God? How would you have responded if you were Paul and Silas stepping out to do something good for God and ending up beaten, flogged, and in jail? Well, listen to their response. Acts chapter 16, verse 25 says this. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were praying. They weren't arguing with God. They were lifting their voices to God. They were worshiping God in song. They were singing hymns. They were delighting in God. They were worshiping God. They didn't let their circumstances define God. They let God define their circumstances and they worshiped the one worthy of their praise, worthy of their songs, worthy of their very lives. And one of the things I appreciate about Paul is that he didn't just, just, he didn't just ignore his pain. He didn't, let, he didn't say, you know, those, those floggings, they didn't really hurt that bad. You know, the beatings on my back, That was nothing. He somehow channeled that pain, that agony to a closer relationship with Jesus, and he worshiped. 
He worshiped. He delighted in God. He sang praises and prayed to God. He and Silas in the middle of this jail cell with their backs bleeding with, in severe pain with chains on their ankles worshiped and prayed to God. See, one of the things, one of the ways that I think Paul learned contentment, one of the ways that I think Paul learned contentment in the midst of his trials was to worship, was to sing, because there's great power in worship. There's great power in taking some of the challenges that we face and channeling those into worship to our great God at about midnight. Paul and Silas were praying and singing worship songs, singing hymns to God. They didn't let their circumstances define God. They let their circumstances lead them into worship of God. I love what James says in James chapter 1, verse 2. He says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He says trials, pains, these challenges, they don't have to lead you away from God. They can lead you to God. In fact, they can lead you to that one thing that you all pursue, joy. And not just a little bit of joy, pure joy. Pure joy, delight, worship. This is the truth. Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds because there's something that can happen inside of you that's much greater than anything happening around you. Joy and pain are not opposite sides of the emotional spectrum. They are united. They worshiped, they sang hymns to God at one of the most difficult times of their lives. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and, I love this part, the other prisoners were listening to them. I mean, of course they were listening to them. I mean, here they just saw Paul and Silas accused, beaten, flogged, and now they're praying. Now they're singing. Now they're worshiping. See, sometimes we wonder why people don't listen to us when we talk about Jesus, it's maybe because we're not singing loud enough. Uh, maybe because there's not enough joy in our lives to get us through some of the challenges that we face. But Paul and Silas were singing and praying, and the prisoners were listening. They were listening to their songs. They were listening to their prayers. They were listening to their message of Jesus. And then God did a miracle. He broke their chains he set them free. He opened the prison doors and jumped down to verse 31. Just before Paul exits this jail cell, he speaks to this jailer. The jailer wants to know what he must do to be saved. In verse 31, Paul replied, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And then they spoke the word of the Lord to him. They didn't leave right away. They spoke the word of the Lord to all the others in his house. And at that hour of the night, the jailer took them and he washed their wounds. What an intimate picture. And then immediately he and all of his family were baptized. The jailer brought to them into his house, and he set a meal before them, and he was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole family. This is how the Philippian church started. It started off really well. Started off with this influential woman named Lydia coming to faith, bringing Paul and Silas into their home, into her home. It started off really well. And 
started off really challenging. Severe beatings, floggings, difficulties, jail time. It started off really well. God was building his church through an influential person. Things were going really well. And God was building his church through the challenges, through the difficulties, through the floggings, through the beatings. This is how the church began. And this is the secret that Paul learned. The secret of contentment. Whether there's something going really well or whether there's something going really challenging, there's this faith, there's this trust, there's this belief that God is in control. There's this worship of God in the midst of the challenges, in the midst of the pain. There's this worship of God. At about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. They were worshiping God in the middle of the night, declaring that God is good, declaring that God is great, understanding the secret of contentment. They didn't let their circumstances lead them away from God. Paul didn't care about the chains on his feet. Paul didn't care about his voice as he was singing. He just says, God, you are good. God, you are worthy. And he sang worship songs to God. See, this is one of the secrets that Paul learned in his pursuit of happiness, that worship leads to joy. What we sing about, what we celebrate has so much to do, it says so much about our hearts. It says so much about what, so much about what we value. And Paul says, sing. I was meeting with some friends just last week and we were talking about some of the things that make our faith grow stronger in relationship to the last series. And a couple of people said it was songs. It was music that they hear on the radio or worship songs that we sing in church. It was this, this music. It's just the language of the heart. And when we sing those songs and when we hear those songs, there's something that happens inside of us that brings us joy. Regardless of our circumstances, there's this inner peace, contentment, and joy. See, one of the secrets to pursuing happiness is worship. It's declaring that God is good, that God is great. Listen to the Psalms. Psalm 96 says this. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. 95, come let us sing for joy in the Lord. Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Let us come before him with thanksgiving and extol him with music and song. Psalm 100, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. See, this is the path of happiness. It's worship. It's delighting in God. And I notice none of the psalmists, none of those psalms wrote, you know, whenever you feel really good, start to sing. When things are going your way, just shout aloud to the Lord. He says, join the chorus of praise. Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Shout for joy to the Lord. Delight in God as your greatest treasure and highest pleasure. Open up your mouth, lift up your hands, and sing. Sing to the Lord a new song. See, one of the things that I learned and Bill learned as we were traveling in Africa last month, we, we learned some things about worship. We were able to worship with some uh, some churches in Africa that, that, that in the middle of some very, very difficult circumstances, 
sang songs with passion and joy. I mean, in, in some of the most challenging places on the planet where there's not enough food to eat, when there's not, not a lot going on educationally, there are believers in Christ that worship with great passion. We were in this rural part of Congo, and people would gather in, and there would be, you know, the place was packed. There were people outside the building, and the music would start, and they would start dancing, right? And they would start shouting. And they would think, there was just this, this eruption of praise, it was fantastic. When we were in Nairobi, we went to another church, and, and, and there was, they were singing, and there was dancing. It was just this, this eruption of praise and worship to God, and I tried to dance. You know, Bill and I tried to engage in this dancing thing, right? And, and you may not believe this, but I'm not a very good dancer. I mean, there's, there's a picture of me. I'm not following the beat there, if you notice that. But, but I just wanted to try it. I just wanted to lift my hands up. Not really following the rest of the group, though trying to. And, and, and I danced before the Lord, like David did. Remember when David, when the ark was coming in? He says, I'll become even more undignified than this. I don't care what I look like. I just want to worship in song and in dancing because God is worthy of my worship. God is worthy of my praise, regardless of my circumstances. We met a woman in a slum called Kabira. Her name's Pamela. And in the midst of some of the most terrible places in this mud brick home, in the middle of this slum with garbage going right down the center of her, you know, alleyway, and, and the stench of garbage, she has this joy. She had this beautiful smile. She had this song in her heart. Worship to God. See, one of the things that I think we I have a challenge with here in the United States. It's not that we pursue happiness too strongly. It's that we don't pursue it strongly enough. That we settle for a nice place to live. We settle for our kids getting good grades. We settle for a warm vacation. When God says, delight in me. Worship me. Regardless of your circumstances, declare me as your greatest treasure and highest pleasure. In the midst of your chains, in the midst of your floggings, in the midst of your challenges, sing. Sing hymns of praise. Delight in me. One of the challenges that I think we face as Americans is not that we pursue happiness too strongly. It's that we settle for so much less. We settle for a nice car, nice home, nice clothes. And God says, I want you to sing. I want you to worship. I want you to let go, dance, shout, and do whatever you need to do in order to connect your heart with mine. See, uh, we, we, can, we can fake it in America. We can have a nice car, a nice home, put a smile on our face. But inside, all too often, there's, there's this hole. There's this gap. There's this longing for happiness. And God's word to us this morning is simply this. Happiness is possible. You can learn to be happy, whether well-fed or hungry, whether things going great or finding yourself in the, in, the, in the cell of an emotional challenge. You can find happiness. You can find pure joy, and it begins with worship. 
That's one of the secrets. That's one of the places that Paul went in his most challenging times. He worshiped. He found joy in the midst of his challenges. Have you? Have you found that place of joy? Have you found that place of contentment? Have you found that place of happiness? That's what we're going to go through over the next few weeks. And this week is just focusing on this time of worship, this place of contentment deep inside of us, regardless of what's going on around us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this place that we can come to, this place of joy and happiness. And we ask that you, Holy Spirit, would enable us even this morning to stand up and cheer, to to stretch out our hands, to dance and shout before the Lord. Not because of our circumstances, but because of who you are because of what you've done, Jesus, on our behalf. Because you are the source of happiness. So change us, shape us, move us inside of us, even this morning, I pray. In Jesus' name.